and welcome to a climactic episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. Back with some basketball breaking news. 72 games down, Frank. Only a few more to go. Absolutely. And it's an exciting time. You know, we've been sitting on our hands for a little bit, uh, waiting for this NBA season to wind down. And lo and behold, here we are, like you said, 72 games later. The playing games are here. Round one of the playoffs soon to come after. And I can't wait to chop it up with you. Good, sir. Yeah, no better place to chop stuff up than in the Play It As It Lies podcast. And with this NBA playoff starting now, you know we're ready to start chopping. And for anyone who isn't ready for it, of course, the play-in tournament is going to come first starting this Tuesday with the East play-in tournament. And that is where we're going to start our debate, Frank. Uh, we only have a few odds for these, as obviously some of these matchups aren't certain. But we do know about one matchup, at least in particular, one that I know that's going to tickle your heart. The 7 and the 8. Um, I know the East specifically has gotten a little bit more life thanks to this play-in tournament. It was going to look a little bit concrete from 1 to 8. But the Washington Wizards, your beloved Washington Wizards, made a little bit of a hope there in the long run and surprised everyone going from 13th in January all the way up to the 8th spot. They currently face the Boston Celtics with uh, quite a few injury problems. And the winner of this game will lock up the 7 seed and a potential matchup with the Brooklyn Nets. So again, Frank, one of your favorite teams, the Washington Wizards, facing off against Brad Stevens and his Celtics, Sons, Jalen Brown. The Wizards have a chance to make the playoffs at plus 120. Do you think they do it through this window? Or do you think they wait and play the 9-10 winner? I think they have a really good shot to win this game. And you could call it an upset because they're the lower seed, um, but they're only a plus. They're only plus one point five underdog uh, in this game. And the Celtics, of course, only favored by a point and a half on the other side. And it's been a really strange season for both of these teams. Um, before the year, we talked about how the Wizards were probably going to end up um, in this range, uh, a lower seed in the East, or being in the playing spot, and they're here right where we thought they'd be but it it's been a roller coaster and for the celtics uh, everyone thought the celtics were going to be one of the top teams in the eastern conference the top four seed really at the very least but it's been a disappointing year for them and now they don't have jalen brown who's out for the rest of the season with a wrist injury and i'm just getting bad vibes from the celtics team and we've talked about that a few weeks ago on previous episodes and it's just been a bumpy road and I think they have the coaching advantage in this matchup, but based on pure talent, I mean, you could make an argument that the Wizards between Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook have at least two of the top three players in this in this matchup, and it's only one game, and the Wizards are on the road, but I think they have a good shot to pull up this upset, and that's actually the direction uh, that I would lean if I had to make a prediction. Yeah, and upset's a little bit of a strong word. You know, after all, it is 8-7, only a few games lining between. And you mentioned probably the biggest part of that is going to be Jalen Brown, you know, start shooting guard. Guy who probably would have been locking up Bradley Beal if he was given the chance. But, you know, Boston's problem all year has been protecting the paint and playing much defense. And lo and behold, you've got one of the best paint attackers in the league in Russell Westbrook, along with a guy who definitely needs some defense around him in Brad Beal. Uh, and this just seems like the best time for the Wizards, who have gotten incredibly hot over the last few months, thanks to a great turnaround in Scott Brooks coaching, and a few other things, like maybe Russell Westbrook in a nightly triple-double, and also Brad Beal in 50 nightly points, but, you know, Scott Brooks deserves all the credit that he gets. Um, Boston is 
you know, as vulnerable as they come. Jalen Brown, obviously, out for the season. Evan Fournier has been out recently for a knee injury. Kemba Walker has been probably in the worst condition and the worst form that he's been in throughout his entire career, who has also been out for the past few games this month in the, with a neck injury. Robert Williams, the line, has broken a toe over the last month and has come back recently. And it's looking more and more and more like the Celtics might not be at 100% when they get to this game on Tuesday. The Wizards, on the other hand, have one name on their injury list aside from the out for the season Danny Avenja and Thomas Bryant, and that's Raul Neto. And frankly, we both watched a lot of Withers games. I think that's a positive for the Wizards, and I think that makes this game maybe an easier upset to call than many would expect going into the season. Right, and the biggest thing for the Wizards, the biggest cause for concern is Bradley Beal, while he's going to play, uh, he's not at 100%. Just a week ago, he suffered a hamstring strain, and he missed a few games. Uh, he played the regular season finale against Charlotte, but he really didn't look like himself. I mean, you could see he was still physically injured. And while he turned it around in the fourth quarter and really put the team on his back to give the Wizards the victory, they need a heroic effort from Beal and Westbrook to win any game. And that includes this game, of course. And that's a lot of pressure on just two players. But on the flip side, for the Celtics, there's a lot of pressure on the shoulders of Jason Tatum. And that only is intensified without Jalen Brown because Kemba Walker, like you said, is not the same player he's been. He looks like a shell of his former self most of the time. Uh, how much offense can you squeeze out of players like Marcus Smart, Evan Fournier, Robert Williams, and combined with an uninspiring bench cast? It, it's a lot to ask Brad Stevens and Jason Tatum to pick up these pieces and put it together. Uh, and in this game, it feels like the Wizards are probably catching the Celtics um, at a good time, whereas the Celtics are catching the Wizards at a not-so-great time for their aspirations. Yeah, really uh, really a story of two teams going in opposite directions. Uh, though I think what you're talking about, Jason Tatum, it's exactly something we're going to talk about later on in the West but when teams that were expected to be this good, and like you said, both of us kind of expecting them to be a top four, top six team, not really anywhere near the play-in game, the Celtics really care about this because the winner of this game matches up with the number two seed, which is the Brooklyn Nets, probably the number one or number two favorite currently to win the NBA championship. So I think if you're Jason Tatum and Brad Stevens, I don't know if your heart's really in this game because you know impending doom is here. Sure, the Wizards also kind of an aging squad, but they would be happy and especially scott brooks whose contract ends at the end of the year is probably keeping his job if he managed to get the eighth seed after starting 17 and 30 unfortunately like you mentioned, unfortunately unfortunately for wizards fans that is but the team did finish 17 and 6 to end the season they were the ninth best defense over that rank and sixth best offense in the league which compared to the celtics who were both bottom 20 in both of those numbers over that same span Gotta imagine this isn't the right time for the Celtics, and it's very likely we'll be seeing the Celtics on Thursday as well as Tuesday. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, we're in a bit of a consensus here that the Wizards, the eighth seed, will actually jump the Celtics as the seventh seed by virtue of winning this game. Looks like it, and the Wizards to make the playoffs at plus 120 is looking like nice money to add to your pocket. But Frank, the question then beckons, who is going to be the eighth seed? Well, that comes into a matchup of the Indianapolis Pacers, versus the Charlotte Hornets. Frank, I'm surprised to say the least that either of these teams are in this position, nonetheless that the Hornets are so low, but also that the Pacers are so low. I didn't like either of these teams going to the season, but this is a surprise place, I think, for most people where they ended up. So before we get right into the nitty-gritty of the game, 
kind of surprised that this is the 9-10 matchup. It is surprising, and I think it just speaks to uh, the parity and, and the unpredictable nature that is uh, the Eastern Conference year after year. And, you know, earlier in the season, the Hornets were at one point as high as the four as the fourth seed in the East, as the fourth seed in the East. And this, the Pacers earlier in the season were right in the thick of the playoff race themselves. And they both kind of slid uh, in directions that you don't want to go. And a lot of that has to do with injuries. I mean, both teams have suffered a handful of different injuries throughout the season. Uh, and here they find themselves, you know, scrapping to fight their way into the playoffs. And between the two of them, I'm much more inspired by the Hornets, and I think the Hornets have the talent advantage. I mean, if you look at the Pacers roster right now, it's really just Sabonis, Karis LeVert, and that's about it. And again, a lot of that has to do with injuries, but the Hornets, even without Gordon Hayward, I think they have the recipe to be a dangerous team in this play-in format where you only have to win one game because they score the ball well, they have a handful of players that can shoot the ball well from outside. And they also have three different players uh, who can create for others and score the ball on their own dime. And that being LaMelo Ball, Devontae Graham, and Terry Rozier. And that's a lot of pressure they can put on a defense. And I don't know if the Pacers are well-equipped to handle that. And I think they could get blitzed in this opening game. Uh, so I have the Hornets winning this. Well, Frank, for a little disagreement here, for the first time in my life, I think I'm going to help out the state of Indiana, and I think I'm going to go with the Pacers here. I would love to see the Hornets win this game, and I think that's the consensus feeling across the country to see LaMelo Ball playing playoff basketball versus a legitimate threat, not just the Pacers. But it's kind of hard to look at everything you just described and look at the biggest hole that the Hornets have. While they have a great advantage in the backcourt, they have all those great young players that are much more athletic and a lot less injuries than the Pacers do. Their biggest problem all season long has been defending against good bigs. And one man that who out of 72 games got 48 double-doubles, most of them including 20 points or 20 rebounds, NBA All-Star Demonis Sabonis, is kind of a huge thing to just kind of let slide when you're talking about this matchup. And I think the fact that the Pacers being the home team here at 9 might actually be a little bit more of an advantage that we might have anticipated going in because, well... Sabonis is going to get fueled by that. And not to mention the fact that Malcolm Brogdon, who has been out for the Pacers' last 10 games, currently averaging 21.3 points and 5.3 rebounds, 5.9 assists, one of the, one of the game's best triple-double artists, expected to be back. And that, I think, fills another big hole in that kind of question mark about what they're going to do in the backcourt. Well, you've got Malcolm Brogdon back providing another source of offense and one of the best defenders in the NBA this year in TJ McConnell. So I think you've just answered that question. I think that's a big weight to put on Malcolm Brogdon, but... If he plays 80 to 90% of what he usually does and Sabonis has his average game, I think the Hornets will be back 10 points just being able to unstop the monster in the front court. Yeah, I think between these two teams, uh, you, I think it would be fair to say the Pacers are the team with the higher floor but lower ceiling, and the Hornets are the team with the lower floor but the higher ceiling. And in a play-in setting where it's only one game, winner win or go home, I think sometimes the higher ceiling can win out. And there's just more more potential, I think, with this Hornets team to to pull off a victory here. And I'm not too sure if the home court advantage for Indiana is going to make a huge difference, um, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. It could go either way, obviously. Um, but in a pick em sort of setting, I'll lean with the Hornets. Um, maybe, maybe in large part because I'd rather see them win 
and rather see them advance for entertainment purposes, but I digress. Okay, so we see it going either way. We both do agree on who they're going to meet up in that final matchup of the potential two to two, one or two game matchup. Let's say my occasion of things happens. The Pacers win game one. They manage to move on. They play the Celtics. I personally don't have a lot of faith in the Celtics holding up. If they lost to the Wizards, then maybe they also lose to the Pacers, but I think that's much closer of a game. If it were to be Pacers-Celtics, do you have the Celtics there winning in one? Do you have them winning in two? Or do you have the Pacers winning both of their games? Just a reminder, though, for the play-in, the undercard or whoever wins the 9-10 has to win two games over whoever wins the 7-8. So the Celtics do only need one win to get that eighth seed. If it's Celtics-Pacers, and I guess I'll say even if it's if it's Celtics-Hornets, uh, which, would, which it would be in my prediction, I think the lower seed will win the first game, that being the Pacers to the Hornets and the Celtics will in the second game. So it'll be a 1-1 split, uh, which would be great, again, for entertainment. And then if it comes down to that last game, I'll just lean with this. I'll just roll with the Celtics in that sort of scenario. And again, you know, we talked about how we're not confident in the Celtics team right now, and they're kind of moving in the opposite direction. But if it just comes down to one game, I feel like Jason Tatum and the coaching of Brad Stevens will be enough to squeeze out one victory whether that's in the first game or whether that's in the third game, if the first two games are split over either the Pacers or the Hornets. And I don't know if that's more of an indictment on the Pacers and Hornets or if it's an endorsement of the Celtics, but I feel like that's the way it would play out. I 100% concur. I think kind of any way you cut it up, those two teams are the 9 and the 10 for a reason, and they probably need just a whole lot of good things to go their way to beat the Celtics on two different occasions, one time in Boston. And uh, I think the best coach out of these four teams is going to get into that playoffs one way or the other. Um, we but, are probably... Brodum, but we should say, if the Hornets had Gordon Hayward, and maybe to a lesser extent, if the Pacers had Miles Turner, we could be having a different discussion. Weasley could have a different discussion, but in that same vein, if the Celtics had Jalen Brown, they'd be the best team on here on paper with the best coach and everything. So I think, you know, you play the what-if game to your own danger. It's a game I play often. It's a game you play often. Well, here's a what-if game that we probably should avoid. So the one and the two play the result. Obviously, we both agree on Wizards being seven versus the Nets. Uh, whoever plays the 76ers at eight, do you give any of these play-in teams, any of them at all, a chance to win a series? Well, stranger things have happened, and anything is possible. But uh, to answer your question bluntly, uh, no, I don't. Do you? No, I really don't. I think they're both kind of no matter what, unless it's the Pacers, are going to be fun matchups. Going to see Jason Tatum and LaMelo Ball and Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, no matter how it turns up, I think it's going to be a fun time. But on the other hand, they don't stand up to the MVP-level caliber, NBA All-Star certainties that play on both the Nets and the 76ers. So I think it's it's almost safe to assume that kind of no matter what happens in this play-in game, it doesn't really matter for the rest of the playoffs. Though it is a fun little experiment to throw in. It is, and depending on what teams you get in the play-in tournament, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe the years down the line we'll be looking back at this and saying, that this was just the starting point for a very successful and long tenure of that playing tournament. But like you said, with these matchups, uh, I think you have to go chalk. I mean, 76ers over the Celtics or whoever else, 
if it's 76 or Celtics, I mean, I could see that being a sweep or at least five games because not only are the 76ers the superior team, there's also the revenge factor from last season where the Celtics dismantled the 76ers in the bubble in five games. So there's the revenge factor there. And if it's Wizards-Nets, again, that could be another sweep, but at least we'll get gifted to a series of Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook, which nobody could complain Nobody could complain about in a 2-7 matchup. Yeah, I agree. So I think that locks up the 1-2 positions, and technically the 7-8. So we've got four more playoff positions, Frank, and this is an actual playoff series that we can talk about, meaning there are four actually good teams that are pretty debatable. Now, I think there's a pretty hotly contested one that happens to be the 3-6. So let's start about my two darlings meeting up in the 4-5. Two teams that every single time you listen to this podcast, you got to hear me remind you. I was saying all along, these two teams would make the playoffs. And lo and behold, the Knicks, who upgraded every resolution that anyone could have put them ahead of the season, are here as the home advantage team in the 4-seed, playing the Atlanta Hawks at 5. Exact same record. Uh, the Knicks do just have that home advantage, meaning we're going to see at least one extra game in the garden frank we'll start it off easy we don't have any lines on this game knicks or hawks i would go with the knicks and maybe two teams i didn't expect to see uh in this scenario much to con much in contrast to you but the knicks just seem like a more uh, structurally sound sturdy team than the hawks do at this moment and obviously they have the same record but it feels like there's more risk involved with this hawks team uh, on a night-to-night, -night, or in this case, on a game-to-game -game basis. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you live by the three and you die by the three. And this Hawks team is very perimeter-oriented, but that can, that can have its upsides, that can have its downsides. But the Knicks, somehow, some way, they're one of the best defensive teams in basketball this year. I think they have a coaching advantage in this matchup. Tom Thibodeau, for all the bad things that have been said about him over the years, He's won playoff series as a head coach. And the reason that Nate McMillan was fired by the Indiana Pacers last season was because he couldn't win playoff series as a head coach. And while he's done a tremendous job with this Hawks team as the interim head coach, there's a reason that he wasn't a head coach before the before the midseason of this year. And talent-wise, I think both of these teams are comparable. Julius Randle, Trey Young. I mean, there's good players on both sides of the ball for both of these teams, but I'll go with the Knicks over the Hawks. And I think it will be a competitive series. I can see it going six, maybe seven games, but New York, to me, would come out on top. Well, New York, New York, it's the best place to be. It's also the mecca of basketball. And before I go into some of the things you said, I think that home field advantage kind of huge the knicks one of the best teams in the league this year as a home team going 25 and 11 in the garden going nine and three with fans in the garden a pretty uh terrifying thing for the hawks who are notoriously one of the worst teams on the road uh if you get talking a little thing if there's some reason why they're good at defense his name is tom thibodeau and don't you disrespect uh that defense is going to shut down the hawks i have no doubt about it as much as i love watching trey young and all those threes that they launch it's just something about those three systems that I don't think is going to get around the tough 48 minutes of gritty, hard-nosed defensive basketball that you get out of guys like Randy Bullock and Alfred Payton, who aren't of the same caliber in any way, shape, or form of anyone starting in the Hawks lineup. I mean, when you talk about guys like Danilo Gallinari versus Alec Burks, 
It's not a matchup that you quite envision going New York's way, but the way that Thibodeau has them all playing just a team-oriented defensive basketball, funneling them all in to the destruction that sits in the middle of their paint, this just seems like either Trey Young is going to have to drop nightly 40-point games or the Knicks are going to win a sluggish 100-90 to kind of game every night. And the fact is... They've had pretty good history with the Hawks. They went 3-0 on the season and beating them by double digits in their last two matchups, all of which Trey Young ended up playing in. It doesn't seem that while this looks like a very tight matchup on record with both of them being 41-31, and 31, I think on the court, this is easily a five-game, six-game max kind of series, and New York will be moving on to the second round. Yeah, I mean, the playoffs, in, in many ways, it's all about making adjustments, finding different ways to win. And I feel like the Knicks are better suited to do that than the Hawks are. The Hawks, in order to win, they have to be making three-point shots. They have to be playing up and down. Trey Young has to be getting to the foul line. And we know the officiating is different in the postseason as well. And I feel like that favors the Knicks team, who probably is more versatile offensively and is certainly superior on the defensive side of the ball. I think that was a pretty short matchup, so I got a little extra fact to add well, to Well, how many games, Rodham? How many games do you think the Knicks win in? I got a, I got I got Knicks in six, and I got Knicks in a very specific kind of six. I got I think it's gonna be the Knicks win every game in the Garden, and then they managed to pull one away in Atlanta, and uh, they just close it up in six. Good prediction. That that's one I concur with. I can see that happening. Oh, well, I'm glad you could see that happening. Uh, this was a pretty short one, uh, though I'm not gonna be surprised if the next one is just a tiny bit longer. But here's an interesting fact in this series. All of probably the best players on either of these two rosters between Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and John Collins. Again, arguably the five best players in the series. This will all be their first times playing in the playoffs with an average age of 23.8. A pretty young star matchup and probably going to be the future of the East uh, if one of the big weights ends up falling down. This is, uh, this is the future, and it'll be interesting to see. But... Frank, with the next series, we get a little bit of taste of a past. Maybe last year's crying Giannis past. We get the eternal matchup that we all knew from day one of the series season. This was going to happen. We wanted to see a rematch, and here it is, Frank. The number three Milwaukee Bucks, the number six Miami Heat. Frank, this is your team. Take it away. You're right, Rodham. And last year, I predicted this upset, saying that the Heat would beat the Bucks in the postseason, and it happened. The Heat were extremely good to me last year. They always have a place in my heart. I'm glad that we're getting this rematch because I think there's no shortage of compelling storylines. And on paper, really, this should just be a terrific matchup. And I think it will be. And I think out of all the first-round matchups in the East, this is the one that has the potential, that has the most potential to go to seven games. And I think it will go to seven games in all likelihood because for a sixth seed, the Heat have had an up-and-down year, and it's a lot of pressure on them to piece it to get, pick up the pieces and put things together at the right time for after what's been an up-and-down year. Uh, and I think they have the potential to do it, but I don't see them winning this series because this Bucks team, while they are the three seed when many thought they could be the first or second seed in the East this year, they're going to be out for revenge. And this feels like a moment. This feels like a series where Giannis finally has that signature postseason moment and I think it could come in Game 7 of this series where he puts the team on his back. He has that signature playoff game that everyone's been waiting for. And the X factor, again, is the fact that they have Drew Holiday this time around. And they didn't have Drew Holiday last season in the playoffs. And obviously, they haven't had him in the years prior. And I think that's a difference maker. And I think the Bucks win this series 
and maybe get over that that metaphorical playoff hump, even though this is just round one. But even a round one victory in this sort of series uh, could feel a lot bigger than it actually is. Yeah, and especially it might feel bigger, especially because we already talked about how talented the one and two is. Winning this round matchup still just gets you a meeting with the Brooklyn Nets uh, in the world we presented. So it's it's a big question mark, and I think it's why it's going to be so important for both of these teams uh, to do it. Now, about the revenge factor, I definitely still think it's going to be their revenge out in that 50-point victory early in the season. Uh, I bet that little bit of that hatred still lingers. But, I mean, has anything about this Bucks team changed? I, I feel like every time I watch a Bucks team, you know, people are always talking about how Mike Budenholzer is trying new things. But nothing's changed about this Heat team. They're still the most stingy two-point defense in the league, only allowing 41.2 points per game in the paint which is not by a little bit of a margin. They are about three points better than any other defensive team in the paint. Uh, another great factor of why Bam Adebayo deserves that placement on the first team all defense, uh, especially if you ask him, he's already defensive player of the year. But this is, even without guys like Darren Jones, still one of the toughest defenses to paint, to figure out in the paint. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm enough of a believer in the Drew Holiday project and what Budenholzer has been doing all season to really believe that this is a different Bucks offense than what they were last year. They've tried out new things. I love it. I love watching not Giannis hold up the paint. I like that in the recent weeks they've been trying the Jokic offense with uh, Giannis with his back to the basket, making crazy throws to either corner. I love it. I love it. But I don't know if it gets to crunch time in a fourth quarter where it's a four-point game if the offense that we're used to where Giannis just kind of bowling balls his way into the rim and see if anything happens, isn't going to poke its head out. And I like what you're saying. I like the idea of a Giannis having a statement game here. And if he does have one or two statement games where people are like, this is, this is the Giannis series. There's no way this could be a five game series and Miami goes home about as sad as they could be. But on the other hand, if Giannis doesn't bust out these crazy games, if I'm Miami, I'm not too scared of Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton's a joke. This has to be Giannis putting his shoulders on. It has to be Bud saying, no, we're going to run an actual offense in the fourth quarter. And those are big contingencies. I like game six in either of these ways. I think it could be Miami. I think it could be Milwaukee. But I don't know. Something about last year makes me want to say Milwaukee's, Miami still got that firepower. And I might have to disagree with you on this one. We might flip-flop from last year. I am not going to trust Coach Bud here, and I'm going Miami in six. Yeah, I mean, it feels weird to say that picking a Picking the Bucks in the series is risky because of how good they are as a team and how good they've been in years past. But I mean, like you said, what have we've seen from this Bucks team over the past few seasons that the regular season Bucks and the postseason Bucks are two very different products. So it's risky to expect that 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 trend would be bucked, so to speak, this time around. And I hope I'm wrong because, of course, I would like to see another six-three upset here with the Heat winning. And we'll just have to wait and see if the same sort of uh, storyline uh, plays out in this series like it did in the bubble. I mean, the Heat had a psychological edge over the Bucks in that last playoff series. There's no other way around it. And you have to think that maybe the Bucks are going to be a little bit more mentally tough this time around, a little bit more well-equipped to handle what the Heat are going to throw at them. And it just seems like a lot to ask for the Heat to piece together everything at the right moment where this season has kind of been a little bit kind of been a little bit tumultuous to say the least and they are on the up they have been on an upward trend over the past couple of weeks but I don't know I feel like the Bucks are in a good place in this series better than they were last year I can definitely agree with that um 
And I think it's hard to screw. Really, I think either of these teams, and this is easily the best matchup of, I think, the entire Eastern Conference, at least the way we have it now, because really either team can win. And it all rests on the shoulders of one of the game's biggest stars, two-time MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, but also two-time coach of the year, Mike Budenholzer, is going to be tested about as any coach. You know, we've talked about already a few coaches who not only have already lost their positions because of coaching, because of playoff performance, but playoff performance might fire more than a few coaches here. We already talked about Scott Brooks for the Wizards, Nate McMillan, how he's lost a job previously for the Pacers. Even Nate Bjorkren might not be surviving if he doesn't manage to lock up that eight seed through the play-in game. And kind of get here to the end, and Budenholzer, I think more than any coach in this entire conference, has everything to prove by being able to beat the Miami Heat. And that that's a steam, and that's a stick-to-itiveness that we're going to need to see from him that we've never seen before, going all the way back from his Atlanta days. And isn't that crazy when you say that out loud? A two-time coach of the year and a two-time MVP, and they have pretty much nothing to show for it as far as postseason success goes. Pretty, pretty, pretty wild. wild. And it's even more wild because we're not even favorite. We're, we're both considering not even favoring them out of the first round. Uh, and I, I don't think that either of these teams have a chance against the Nets. And obviously we'll talk about that in future weeks. But not a, not a historically great time to be a Bucks fan or at least be on the Bucks team for how much talent and how much, how much talent is there, how much that talent's not being used. Yeah, this will be, in all likelihood, the most popular upset prediction of the first round, and probably in either conference. I think that's safe to say. So what's your final What's your final take on this, my, my uh, Milwaukee in seven? My heart says Heat in four, but my brain says uh, Bucks in seven, and if the two meet in the middle, then maybe it'll be Heat in six. Heat in six. I agree with Heat in six. I, I think it's either Heat in seven. It's Heater 7 or Bucks in 5, and I don't see it going any other way. They either have the answer or the Heat, like they were last year, best paint defense in the league. Eric Spolstra, once again, the mastermind of defense that he is, wins the series. So I'm going either Heat in 7, Bucks in 5, and I'm leaning towards Heat in 7. And nowhere in between. And I think, uh, when, when you say we manifest destiny this episode up? Uh, well, I don't know about up, but let's move it west as we manifest destiny our way to the Western playoff conferences. And we switch from, Frank, your favorite team uh, to my favorite team playing in the West. Before we get right into that, there is, of course, a little matchup of the reigning champions somehow precariously in this situation as they face a former reigning champion. Uh, and now here they are, the 7 and the 8 seed, playing for the 7 and the right to play the Phoenix Suns in the first round. It's the renewed LeBron James and Anthony Davis Lakers versus Chris Paul. Nope, versus the superstar that is Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. 7-8. The line is relatively cl- the line is currently to be decided, but you got to imagine it's leaning somewhere to warn the reigning champs. Frank, in your eyes, do you think Steph Curry, the one-man machine that has willed his team into the playoffs, is enough to stop the guys with the crown? I think it just might be, and a lot of it probably has to do more so with the Lakers than it does with the Warriors, and all the credit in the world has to go to Steph Curry and what this Warriors team has been able to do this season, finding their way in this position. But the Lakers, I don't think they need to win this game, and they probably recognize that. Obviously, if they lose this game, they can still make the postseason by virtue of beating the 9 or 10 seed once or twice, and... You have LeBron James, who obviously has been dealing with an ankle injury, just exited uh, this game on Sunday night early again. Is he going to play in this game? Is he going to rest? Maybe it makes more sense for him not to play in this game 
and for them to wait and conserve their energy to play that nine or 10 seed. And maybe the Lakers don't see a huge difference between the Jazz, the one seed, or the two, the, the Sun, or the Suns, the two seed. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe LeBron does play in this game and they take it seriously. But even if they do, they're not in the best place right now. Whereas the Warriors, having a guy like Steph Curry, even if LeBron and Anthony Davis are obviously maybe on his same level, Steph Curry can score 40 points with ease. I mean, we've seen that. And in a one-game setting, sometimes that's all you need. And I think the Warriors have a pretty decent shot of winning this game and actually jumping the Lakers for the seventh seed. Ooh, you're predicting another 8-7 swap, so that's that's going to be interesting. I think that's the more interesting way to go. I think I, I I like the idea of the Warriors going hot here, but still the Lakers, and I, I don't buy it. I don't buy the LeBron doesn't play in this game. You know there's going to be Twitter fingers going rampant if he doesn't play in this game. And while it might be nice to have that time to maybe play a weaker opponent, you'd rather play the Jazz, on the other hand, you get three more days off if you win this game rather than have to go into the full-on tournament and maybe play two games against either the Grizzlies or the Spurs. Uh, and I think in the end of the day, I think that's the more advantageous one. So I think it would surprise me if LeBron and AD were not to go into full force, maybe go all in for three quarters, maybe on minutes restrictions both. Uh, but I think you... Right, but what what does that look like right now, right? what We haven't seen LeBron and Anthony Davis at full force you know, going 100% in, in a while. So is it conceivable to just expect that to suddenly happen with the snap of the fingers in, in just a couple of days? For most teams, I would say, yeah, it's kind of, but the, the main players that have to get together here are players that have been playing together. I don't think you go through that whole run through the bubble through a championship full season and you suddenly forget how to play with Anthony Davis. I don't think their timing for two NBA future legends are, are really going to be the problem. Sure, I think we're going to see some weird, awkward times with Kyle Kuzma and maybe KCP or, or Dennis Schroeder maybe are a little bit off their games, but we're talking about LeBron James and Anthony Davis, top 50 players in the history of the league. I wouldn't be surprised if we get their full force better than, you know, better than expected of two just average guys on the street. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's not a good idea to doubt LeBron James and to doubt Anthony Davis, but at the same time, it just feels like a weird spot, and I feel like the Warriors could win this game. I think they're well-equipped to win this game, even though the Lakers obviously have a talent advantage. You never know. No, you absolutely don't, and I think, if anything, it's going to be more exciting to see Curry and LeBron in the same court again. Uh, those games never disappoint, especially with the oldest uh, player to ever win the scoring title, Mr. Steph Curry, who managed to win on the final day, snatching it away from Bradley Beal. Uh, playing on the court in the way he is. Lakers currently on a five-game win streak. Warriors currently on a four-game win streak. Both teams coming in hot. And this, in my opinion, is going to be the best game of any of the, the playing games. And definitely, you know, the best reason why these games exist. Uh, LeBron might be mad about it, but this is this is kind of it. This is for the team that might have dipped out of the playoffs to now kind of have to fight a little bit more. Because realistically, the Lakers over the last month and a half probably didn't deserve a playing spot. But uh, they'll, they'll be getting the seven in my eyes. Uh, but you're sticking with Golden State here? I am, uh, begrudgingly. More so just because uh, I want to see an 8-7 swap in both conferences because I think that would be uh, quite entertaining in the first year of the in the first full year of the play-in format. It would. It definitely be interesting for the first full year. Uh, there is one team that is quite familiar with 
of the playing team, and this is the only team that managed to play from last year's playing team. That's right, the Memphis Grizzlies, the only team in the history of the NBA currently to lose a game in the play-in. Let's see if they managed to make it two or if they managed to go one and one as the nine and ten here go up ahead. It's a battle of the Southwest Division as the Memphis Grizzlies play the San Antonio Spurs. Grizzlies finally in full health. Not a single injury to report after a long, long struggle of Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. taking their sweet time to get back on the court. They are finally healthy. Lost the eighth seed to the Warriors on Sunday in the final game of the season. Grizzlies a nine. Warriors lose. Warriors win. The Grizzlies drop to nine. Here they are playing the Spurs, a team they have gone up quite well against, two and one on the season, and and five and one over the last two seasons. Uh, this is a good place if you're at Memphis. But Frank, do you agree? Are you taking my Grizzlies to the next round to match up with the Lakers in your case, or is it going to be Spurs on if Popovich plays in another playoffs? Well, it's always hard to pick against the Spurs when it just comes down to one game because they do have the best coach in the NBA and they do have one of the best closers in the NBA in DeMar DeRozan. And usually those two factors are recipes for success, um, all things considered. But like you said, the Grizzlies have kind of had the Spurs number this year and it, it feels like the Grizzlies have far more advantages, uh, far more advantages in this matchup on both sides of the ball, really. And the Spurs, frankly... They just don't have all that much firepower, and I'm not sure how much gas they really have left in the tank at this point in the season, and they're going to have to squeeze a lot of production out of out of some role players in this matchup. And I think the Grizzlies, and if I had to say, I think the Grizzlies win this game, but I think it's going to be close, and I wouldn't be surprised if DeRozan and the Spurs pull off some late-game heroics, and you wrote them as a Grizzlies fan. I'm sure that's something that's in the back of your mind even in picking the Grizzlies in this matchup. It always is. Uh, you know, the Grizzlies and the Spurs. This is as close as a rivalry as I get to as a Grizzlies fan, since no one really cares about us in the middle of Memphis. I care. I care as well. And that's why I feel good about this one. I think that there's enough young players here where they feel the heat of what needs to happen here. The city and the team knows that they need to beat the Grizzlies, the Spurs here. Uh, they have done it before. Both of those games have been won by They've done it twice before, both in Memphis, and both of those games have gone well for the Grizzlies, uh, especially since neither of them came with either Justice Winslow or Jaron Jackson. Uh, and they usually came at the peak of the Spurs' run. Uh, the Spurs stopped an eight-game win streak in their first loss to the Grizzlies during the season, and that was one of the Spurs' best runs, and the big reason why they're in the playoffs is this late run to end the season and also that middle run from January to February. One of the biggest parts of that latest run, though, was Derek White who is going to be out and for sure out for the entirety of the play, and he might be back later, but him and Lucas Samancic, both of the better backup players on this team, are going to be out. And with the Grizzlies, who are probably one of the top three deepest teams in the league, it's going to be a problem for San Antonio. And while depth usually in a playoff series isn't a big problem, I think it is with the guy you're talking about in DeMar DeRozan, who might be as clutch as you want, and the Grizzlies are not really a t clutch team, as we've seen by miss after miss by John Morant at the buzzer, are you really going to be able to play DeRozan that much? And is he going to be able to fare well against the backups that the Grizzlies have? Because a backup lineup of DeAnthony Melton and Grayson Allen or DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain are about 10 miles per hour faster than anything that Pop can throw out with Patty Mills and DeMar DeRozan. And that's not a great matchup. And you have even throw in John Moran in there, probably one of the fastest guys in the league. And this is a tough matchup for San Antonio to grab 
uh, with all of their young guys. It's going to be a great matchup for youth and a lot of guys that are going to be the future of the NBA. But the oldest guy in the, th- the oldest guy in the room, Greg Popovich, I think doesn't get what he wants, and I'm definitely sticking with the Grizzlies here. Yeah, I concur. I concur. I don't feel great about it, but I think uh, I, I agree with you that the Grizzlies will win this game. And then the question begs, you know, your Grizzlies are plus 150 to make the playoffs. So in your scenario where they win this game and then play the Warriors, or in my scenario, they play the Lakers, how confident are you that they pull off the upset in either of those games? If they play the Warriors in in my scenario things, I think there's zero chance, zero chance, 0.000 chance, in fact, that the Grizzlies managed to win a game versus the Warriors uh, with Steph Curry in this mood. I've seen enough. I've seen enough big games of Steph Curry versus this Grizzlies team, and every single time we step up to Stephen Curry, whether it be in the playoffs in 2013, in a Western Conference Finals, in any important game, Steph Curry has dropped 30 or 40 points on us consistently. I am very ready for Steph Curry to do that to the Grizzlies when they get into the second round of the play-in tournament. No chance the Grizzlies manage to move on against that one. Against the Lakers. If they're in the scenario, I can imagine that maybe the Lakers are a little down and the Grizzlies manage to pull off the first game. The Grizzlies do a pretty good history going against Anthony Davis uh, if the refs aren't entirely giving him 20 free throws a night. But I don't see them winning multiple games. I think either way you look at it, I don't think the Grizzlies have two games in them against the reigning champs. Uh, and they have little to not even... I don't even think they have two minutes versus the Warriors. And so not without a doubt, I think both of the play-in teams, uh, the 7 and the 8, are going to be the ones in the playoffs. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. And maybe that's a little bit, you know, disappointing that we're kind of talking about in both conferences that there's a kind of a drop off between the seven and eight versus the nine and ten. But I think that's just the nature of how both conferences are right now. And that that's probably to be expected with the play in tournament going forward in years to come. Well, I think with the the West specifically, I think it might not have been because the fully healthy Lakers team, the fully healthy Warriors team, if they are top six as expected the seven and the eight suddenly become Portland and Dallas. And I think we're talking about a very different kind of playing game with much more susceptible teams rather than players, uh, rather than teams with top five players in the NBA with Steph Curry and LeBron James. And maybe then the play-in gets a little bit more interesting. I think the fact that Los Angeles and Golden State, again, two of the best franchises in the history of the league, are going at it, it makes it a little bit different, a little bit weird. Uh, for this year's but I think it does bode well for future play-in games that we do have both of the eights beating the sevens and on top of that we have you have at least a 10 beating a nine so upsets are still be to be had yeah it's a good point it's predictably unpredictable is a good way to summarize it it is a good way to summarize it Frank let's get to summarizing another kind of series uh, going from one LA team to the other LA versus Dallas we get another rematch of last year's playoff our playoff that didn't go too much Dallas's way. It was looking like a great series until Christoph Porzingis, as he always does, got hurt. Uh, he's not hurt at the moment, though. Uh, so we'll have to see how Luca and Luca and Porzingis managed to go up against Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George, season of his career, uh, I would say. Maybe not as much as his MVP season the year before, but this has definitely been some of the best Paul George basketball we've seen all year. Uh, Kawhi? I haven't seen Kawhi play basketball in quite a long time. Every time I turned on the Clippers, I swear to God, he's on load management. So, Frank, you've probably seen a little bit more of him than I have. How are you feeling about this 4-5 matchup? Well, I can't really say I have uh, this season, but I have seen enough of Kawhi Leonard in years past uh, to be confident in picking the Clippers in this matchup. And I think the Clippers have quietly been 
maybe a little bit better than they were last year, as weird as that kind of sounds. But at the very least, I think they're better suited coming into the playoffs uh, than they were last season. And there's less pressure on them. Uh, nobody's really been talking about them. They've kind of been flying under the radar, but I think that will help them. And they beat the same Mavericks team in the bubble last year uh, by way of six games. It wasn't a extremely convincing six games, but I think they'll probably win this series in, in five or six games again. But I think it'll be a better five or six games. I think they're better than they were before in the Mavericks. I don't know how much better they, they are now than they were in the bubble, really. I mean, Lucas still obviously great, but do you trust Porzingis as the second star in a postseason series? I mean, do you trust him to stay healthy? Do you trust their supporting cast? I would probably say no to both of those things, and that's not a recipe for a victory over a, a strong Clippers team in this matchup. Yeah, and I, I, I hadn't thought about it too, but you're absolutely right that this is sneakily a good Clippers team. Uh, and I agree with you. I think they're definitely, I wouldn't say they're better than last year, but they're definitely on pace. And the fact that two teams above them, like the Jazz and the Suns, have just gone so far ahead of both LA teams have just kind of dwarfed what the Clippers have done. But this is absolutely a better constructed team. And if the playoff hullabaloo of the Ty Lu situation and Kawhi and whatever happened in that locker room afterwards has settled, this is a dangerous team. Uh, this is also a dangerous team that lost by 50 points at some point this season. Kawhi Leonard obviously wasn't there. Uh, Paul George did have to rest that on his head, but that that is quite a quite a loss to take. And like you said, last year wasn't too convincing, so I wouldn't entirely buy if Dallas has a few good games to start, especially at the beginning of the series, kind of like last year, if Luka just kind of goes ham and Kawhi doesn't pick up as much as he does. I can see Dallas going up into one one game, two game, maybe starts off the series two one. Uh, but from then on, I say Clippers go the next four, and then that's kind of it. I would not be surprised if this is a quick series for the Clippers. I would not be surprised if this is a long series for the Clippers. But I would be surprised if the Clippers don't come out champions. I concur. I concur. And I think this is probably the spot the Clippers wanted to be in. I mean, I think reasonably, if they really wanted to, they could have been the three seed. Maybe they could have even made a concentrated effort to try to jump uh, this, the Suns for the two seed. But settling here into the four spot, playing the Mavericks again in the first round and in all likelihood avoiding uh, the Lakers until the, until the conference championship, if it comes to that, uh, is probably where the Clippers wanted to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are you giving the, the Mavericks any chance? Because, you know, I, I can't help but look at the fact, I mean, the Mavericks were 2-1. and one. We talked about it all last year. One of the greatest offenses in the history of the NBA. Obviously, Luka Doncic in quality MVP form. Is Porzingis really the thing that's holding the back? If you're if you're Dallas and you lose the series, which we're both saying they are, do, are you looking for Luka's next second star? Is that what's is that what's keeping this team away from an NBA championship? Well, I think it's probably more than that that's keeping them from being a championship contender. But if you're talking about just getting over the hump of beating the Clippers or getting out of the first round of the playoffs, I think that's fair to say. I mean, it, it's not a total knock on Porzingis. Obviously, he's a talented player, but in the postseason, I mean, you need a second reliable star to advance. And to beat a Clippers team that has two stars, you had you kind of have to fight fire with fire. And Porzingis, maybe he's a star. Maybe he's just a really great, maybe he's just a really good, talented player. But I don't think he's taken that next step forward along with Luka that the Mavericks were probably hoping that he would be. And going forward, 
that's probably something that they're going to have to explore. And I'm sure Mark Cuban uh, is thinking about it in his free time, along with Shark Tank. Yeah, we'll see if he can trade Porzingis and some Dogecoin for a better player. Uh, Mark Cuban, always a creative guy over there. Uh, another chalk, though. The only upset we really have here is me taking Miami from Milwaukee, and I'm not even very confident in that. As we move over to the other 3-6 here, it's the Denver Nuggets versus the Portland Trail Blazers. Only five games separating the three and the sixes here. Uh, this isn't a rematch of last year, but two years ago, uh, this was the match that this was the series that took Portland to the Western Conference Finals, and this is also the back the the this is also the back to back losers of the Western Conference Finals. Denver losing last year and Portland losing the year before. So this is the series that would require for them to get back to that pinnacle. Frank three six Nuggets won two. Nuggets went two and one in this series during the regular season, and the and two of the games were less than five points, and the other one was a Portland win by sixteen points just yesterday. So, are you for Portland here with Dame Lillard, or is it the MVP Jokic's time to shine? Well, again, much like in the East, I think if there's going to be an upset in the first round of the Western Conference, I think it would be this one. Um, but I think that has more to do with the nature of the other of the other matchups than it does with Portland's tangible chances to beat the Nuggets in this series. And the main concern for the Nuggets in this series is, again, it's Jamal Murray. It's not having Jamal Murray. And we thought that that would be uh, an issue during the regular season, during the end of the regular season, and it hasn't been. In fact, they've it's been exactly the opposite. Uh, kind of a little bit of a Ewing effect, road, if you will. The Nuggets have been Nothing short of fantastic since Murray went down with injury. But if there's an avenue for the Trailblazers to pull off an upset in this matchup, it's because of the the vast disadvantage that they that they have at the guard spot, that being the Nuggets. Because we know that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum can score thirty points a night in any game in this series. And the Nuggets, frankly, they just don't have the guards right now to match that in any way, shape, or form. So it's really just a matter of how great can Jokic be in this series and whether or not the Trailblazers have any chance of slowing Jokic of slowing Jokic down. And my prediction for that is they have almost no chance of slowing Jokic down because nobody in the NBA this season has been able to do has been able to slow him down at all. And my larger point Rotom and I'll kick it over to you is that with this Trailblazers core of Lillard, McCollum, uh, and a collection of different supporting cast players with Terry Stotts as head coach, it kind of feels like this is a fork in the road. If they lose this series, uh, it, it's just stale, I think, at this point. They've squeezed as much as they could with this core. They've had some nice postseason runs, but I'm not sure if they're well-equipped to make another run this postseason. And I think the Nuggets are probably going to come out on top in this 3-6 matchup. Yeah, and I, I don't think I can disagree, and I'm kind of disappointed in that fact, but I, I'd like to argue that I think the Trailblazers have little to no chance in this one. Uh, I think this is not... I think I think that there's a better chance that the Mavericks beat the Clippers than there is here to beat for the Trailblazers to beat the Nuggets, because I love Dane time. I do love to see it, and I know he's going to hit at least one big game. I know it's going to be a big part, but I think that's going to be the one game they win. This is probably going to be a five-game series Nuggets way, because not only do they have the MVP... And I know they don't have Jamal Murray, but let's uh, let's take a step back from saying they don't have any guard play. Monte Morris and Faku Campazo are 
are not Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum, but they're reputable guards that play a pretty strict type of defense. And while we're already comparing position groups, sure, backcourt definitely swings trailblazers, but who in their right mind on the trailblazers is really about to defend Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, and Aaron Gordon, uh, not to mention guys like Will Barton coming off the bench, Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green, P.J. Dozier, like there's the list goes on and on in the depth of the front court here for the, for the Nuggets, specifically players who are athletic and really need a guy they can strap on defense. And I truly do love Robert Covington, but he's not a guy that sticks on on someone like Lou, like a Ben Simmons or a T.J. McCollum. He, he's a team defender, and that's going to be great for stopping long court passes from Jokic and even stopping that upper course play. That's exactly what you need, and that's what Robert Covington's going to give and maybe neutralize a little bit the passing play from Jokic, but they don't have a straight up-and-down guy that can stop Jokic, nor did they have a runner that can stick on someone for Michael Porter Jr. I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Jamal Murray games that we saw from last year kind of turn into the Michael Porter Jr. games of just 30 and 40 points a night, and while that's a little extreme... Michael Porter really has no direct matchup in most teams in the NBA, but specifically for this Trailblazers team that has lacked size pretty much the entire time Damian Lillard has been the point guard, it's going to show, and I think it's going to show incredibly badly. This could be a five-game series, I think, pretty simply. I wouldn't be surprised if everything you're saying is absolutely right. This is going to be it for the Trailblazers. Stott's probably gone in the offseason. They lose this series. Maybe Dave Lillard gets traded at the next trade window. And we're talking about a brand new Trailblazers by next time, by this time next season. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm, I'm I don't think I'm as quite uh, confident to say the Nuggets will win in, in five games as you are. I think I'd give the Trailblazers a little bit more respect. But again, I'm with you that the Nuggets will win this series and they'll do so, I think, in, in no less than six games. In fact, I'll say Nuggets in six you know, by virtue of a four to two win. And I also think they have a pretty significant coaching advantage, I think. Mike Malone versus Terry Stotts. Uh, I think that the arrow points towards Malone in that matchup nine, ten times out of ten. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, we really did agree here on the West. But, you know, the probably biggest part of the West where we disagree, the true number one and number two seeds here, uh, as the Sun and Jazz finished only half a game different from each other. Sun or Jazz, any concern here? Or are they second-round locks versus whoever they happen to play? Well, the biggest concern is which one of these teams is going to have to play the Lakers. And that's going to be the ultimate question because I think the Jazz and Suns are extremely strong teams as a one and two season. And I don't think there's really all that much that separates the two of them. And in fact, the Jazz were the Jazz were going to be the two seed uh, up until the very last game of the regular season. And they essentially had the same record. But while they are two well-coached, uh, sound teams on both sides of the ball with playoff experience. Uh, facing the Lakers as the seventh seed or the eighth seed is not a recipe that any team wants, especially as a one or two seed. So I think there is a scenario where the Jazz and Suns both advance out of the first round, but I think it's more likely that one of them is upset in the first round by the Lakers, and I don't think the Warriors or the Grizzlies, or the Spurs, if God forbid somehow the Grizzlies or Spurs got into this. Well, let's not say God forbid. I hope they make the playoffs. Right, right. But neither of us are predicting it, is what I'm saying. Monetarily, I, yeah, let's God forbid. Okay. I, my larger point is I think the Lakers are the only team out of the playing group in the West that has a legitimate, probably better than 50% chance to pull off an upset over the Jazz or over the Suns. 
Well, if that's the case, I mean, even if with the pedigree that comes with the Lakers, you got to imagine that that one or two seed are going to be favored. I don't know by exactly how much, but who, you know, I'm 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 obviously going to say Jazz, and you're obviously going to say Suns, and that's just how it's going to go. But do you think that the Lakers have a better shot against the Jazz or the Suns? Well, that's a great question, Rodham, and, and honestly, it's it's almost impossible to answer. And again, because of personal bias and favoritism, I would lean towards saying they have a better shot against the Jazz. But it's hard to say because we've seen this Jazz team uh, in the postseason maybe underwhelm a little bit to a certain extent. I mean, especially last year, blowing a 3-1 lead against the Nuggets. And then on the flip side, we've never seen this Suns team as currently constructed in the playoffs. We don't know what they're going to look like in postseason basketball. We know what their individ- some of their individual players, like Chris Paul uh, and Jay Crowder and a handful of other guys look like, but it's a new group. And it's they're new to the postseason stage. So for that reason, there's an argument to say that the Lakers have a better chance of upsetting them because of the because of the newness and the freshness factor. But I think you can make an argument either way, really. Yeah, and I think that's definitely interesting. And I think that's if we're talking about another good reason to keep the play in, I think maybe that that variability of where the better team in the play in is going to land between the seven and the eight could actually be a pretty big factor there. And while it might be true that we might never truly see a ten upset a one, we might totally see a, a team maybe like even the Wizards who were playing like an eleven ended up as a ten randomly found themselves up as an eight, which is, which is kind of crazy. I mean that, that's entirely possible, and I think that's. Maybe not the long-term great part of the play-in game because we're never really going to see a championship, a champion team come out of the play-in. But I think it's a nice little addition. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it just makes the the build-up into the playoffs uh, a lot more interesting and a lot more compelling, which I think is a good thing for not just the NBA, but you know, for fans and just for the entire postseason as a whole. Yeah, totally. Uh, and talk so about take, the entire... take that, take that, LeBron. Take that. Keep the playing. Keep the playing. Fuck LeBron. Uh, but speaking of of entertainment value, you know, there's there's a few other questions here that I, I'm actually interested in. You know, might might run the episode a little bit longer, but it's always worth it to hear uh, your great opinions here, Frank. Which uh, which finals? Which uh, which Western Conference finals are you more excited for it to happen? Would you rather Lakers Clippers or Jazz Suns? It's a great question. The Jazz and Suns have had some some great regular season matchups this year, one in particular, but I would still say Lakers-Clippers. And I know Jazz-Suns would be great because nobody would have predicted that Western Conference Finals, but I think deep down we all still want to see Lakers-Clippers. That's uh, the prince that was promised, so to speak. That was the matchup we all thought we were going to see last year. Still waiting on it in postseason capacity, um, so I would still lean towards that one, I think. But great question. Pull out of your back pocket like that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, if it, uh, I'm, I'm glad. And you, you pulled out a Game of Thrones reference there. Fun fact, Frank's never seen Game of Thrones and yet had that in his back pocket. So a lot of back pocket talk here. Uh, one more question, though. If I may, well, what's, we... your, what's your answer? You, you got to answer it. Uh, well, personally, I'd much rather see the Jazz and the Suns because, I don't know, I think a, a Lakers-Clippers matchup this year, unlike last year, it's 100% towards the Clippers. I think last year they were the 1-2. It was going to be a fun matchup. The Clippers were kind of the underdog going into it because they, they had the Suns factor you were just talking about. They weren't together, and the Lakers had it all together, and they were the two superstars, and it was going to be great. The Clippers failed on that one. 
I think if that is the future that's coming and the Lakers somehow managed to make it in and the Clippers are also in there, I think it kind of ends up being a blowout by the Clippers because the Clippers obviously will have found the secret, even if the Lakers found their own secret. I think that uh, that special sauce in Kawhi Leonard just happens again and, and we see another Clippers upset. So I think the more entertaining and likelier one to go to seven for me is Jazz Suns. Obviously, also two of the best-looking basketball teams uh, currently in the planet Earth. Uh, just the beautiful games they play there. And like you mentioned, probably top five games of the year this year was uh, that game in, in April uh, between the Jazz and the Suns. Uh, absolutely insane. And, you know, my boy Mike Conley, also on the Jazz. So I got to root for him to finally win one of those games. Uh, that's that's my preference. In the East, I would ask you any question, but realistically, I think uh, if I say anything with the Heat, you're going to go for that one. And if I say anything with the Knicks, I'll go for that one. Uh, so, you know, we got a little bit of stalemate, but I do have one more question here before you go. We talked about a few of the bigger matchups in this game, specifically position group-wise. We talked a lot for the Trailblazers and the Mavericks. Uh, we talked a lot about it for the Nuggets and the Trailblazers. We talked a lot for the Hawks and the, the, the Knicks, uh, the Pacers, and the Hornets. Any player bets that you're going to be looking at for this weekend? Uh, I, I mentioned a few, like Michael Parter Jr. Uh, for the Nuggets. I'm definitely going to be hammering his over. Maybe Steph Curry, if they play the Grizzlies, would definitely be one. Any any specific player you think is kind of in line to have a great playoff series? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a handful of different options uh, you could choose for that answer. Paul George is one name that sticks out, who you already mentioned. Uh, maybe he's he's out to exercise his playoff P demons uh, in, a, in a big way in a statement variety against the Mavericks. I already talked about Giannis a little bit. Joel Embiid, too, I think. If it's 76ers, Celtics, or really if it's 76ers versus any of the playing teams, nobody is equipped to defend Joel Embiid in the first round. And I think we could be looking at him putting up a video game type numbers. And um, video game type numbers. And I'm sure there's other players that I can't think of at the top of my head that you probably have in mind. Well, I did I did list my, my biggest one. I think Michael Porter Jr. Uh, versus the Trailblazers is going to be a big one, depending on who gets to start there with Aaron Gordon. But I think uh, there's just no one on that team that can handle him. Uh, to my chagrin, whoever ends up getting the Suns, I think Devin Booker is going to be hard to handle. I love KCP, mm-hmm. but uh, KCP will not be handling uh, Devin Booker as he's a little bit too quick for them. And then if the Warriors stand up, I mean, it's going to be a 1v1 fire-off battle, and I love Devin Booker there uh, in that matchup. The the Heat, obviously I'm taking them to beat the Bucks, so I mean, maybe, maybe a Giannis under, but more importantly... I don't love him, but in the playoffs, he has one season. He's proven a lot of great games. Tyler here on that over would not be too surprised if he starts lighting up the the, the court in Cream City uh, if they oh. go up there. So that that's another one to watch. Yeah, I like that Devin Booker one, obviously. And it's also, you know, his first taste of postseason action. And he's been fantastic this season and really for, for years on end now. So I think he's a guy who can kind of – who might be out to take his game – uh, to the next level and prove, you know, that he can do it in the postseason just as he can do it in the regular season. But I'm shocked that you just sang the praises of Tyler Hero. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. So, Frank, we do have a little bit more questions here. Uh, we also have more time. You know, my back pocket currently flowing with questions as we didn't get to do our final NBA rundown. I am, you know, I've been anticipating this. I've been thinking about these questions, ruminating them inside my brain, thinking about what I think the true answers are. Uh, and, and if you need a little bit more time, I am springing this question on him uh, real quick here. Final final award shouts. You know, we went back and forth on quite a lot of these, uh, a lot more 100 percenters. 
uh, a lot of guys that are kindly locked down. But there are pretty some arguable debates left uh, to be had about who won, wins which award. Uh, so, you know, starting with MVP and then probably Rookie of the Year, let's get those two out of the way. Uh, who are your picks? Who, who do you think's getting hardware in this year? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's really been a year unlike any other when it comes to award races and a lot of difficult decisions, like you said. But at the same time, a lot of not-so-difficult decisions, and one of those is MVP. And to me, it's Jokic. And it's an easy call. It wasn't. We wouldn't have expected it to be an easy call uh, weeks to months ago, but Jokic is kind of the last man standing in that MVP run. He was the only guy who played the pretty much the entire season, was healthy, and put up tremendous numbers and the nuggets reap the benefits because of it and i'm i imagine you don't disagree with Jokic for mvp yeah Jokic currently a minus 2000 at DraftKings uh, for the mvp kind of seems to be the favorite uh obviously if you go on twitter you're going to hear a lot of seven curry talk but no way a play-in team uh, especially an eight seed is going to make an mvp caliber guy at steph curry maybe if they were the five maybe if they punched a little bit more and got up to the four He'd be in the conversation, but I think absolutely Nikola Jokic has run away with this. Uh, a tear out to Joel Embiid. Man, if he could play one full season, that guy has an MVP trophy for sure this year, I think. Yeah, 100%. And and that's, you know, the sad story that is Joel Embiid. And as far as Rookie of the Year goes, I'm not sure if this is controversial at this point anymore, but I would probably still say LaMelo Ball. And if he had never got injured, it wouldn't even be a question. But he still ended up playing 50 games on the year because he came back towards the end of the season. And Anthony Edwards actually came on pretty strong towards the end of the season and actually picked his game up quite a bit. And he only missed one game on the entire year. And 71 compared to 50 is a big difference. But for me, not big enough, not big enough of a difference to take the Ant-Man over LaMelo for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And, I, and these are both going to be our picks, and it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. And we've talked about it, I think, the last time we did an NBA episode. It's kind of hard to take LaMelo here with the history that's happened to the award, especially when we just talked about Joel Embiid with injuries. I mean, that literally the precedent for this award right now is what happened with Joel Embiid and Malcolm Brogdon. But if you're talking about the guy who came into this league and really felt like he made a difference, there's no way you're talking about Anthony Edwards uh, compared to LaMelo Ball. The Hornets have a new direction as a franchise because of this guy. Anthony Edwards has led the, the, the Timberwolves from little to absolutely no hope to a little bit more hope than before. Uh, and that's that's just not enough. And I think that, that that hope and that inspiration and the fact that the Hornets feel like they have a franchise around LaMelo Ball should be rewarded uh, but currently he's sitting at minus 800, so it does seem like the award is coming his way. It would kind of be a surprise for the award, for the odds community at least, to see Anthony Edwards go here. Uh, one more controversial one, I think the only one we never agreed on throughout the entire season. Defensive player of the year. Uh, odds are pretty close, but it does look like it's coming down between Ben Simmons, the 1-5, through five, versus team effort Rudy Gobert. Who do you got? I would probably still take Ben Simmons at this point. Uh, my opinion really hasn't changed all that much. Both are tremendous defenders. I still just feel like Ben Simmons can do more defense, can do more defensively just because of his versatility than Rudy Gobert can. But I think Rudy Gobert will ultimately win. But if it was up to me, I would lean slightly towards Ben Simmons. You, you haven't changed my mind enough on previous episodes. 
Well, you know, I tried, I tried, I tried, but it does look like this one's going to be probably the closest one as Rudy Gobert currently sits at minus 200 as Ben Simmons sits at plus 110 uh, as the two obvious candidates, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Miles Turner, Bam Adiabo, Bam Adebayo, uh, all probably played close. I'm surprised Bam is, is not going to be third place in this one. I think he really deserved it for, you know, the defense. I talked about it earlier. Uh, the paint defense of this Miami Heat team without uh, pivotal guys like Jay Crowder and, and Derek Jones that I thought were going to be their undoing this season uh, has been tremendous. And that's all because of Bam. And he, he better be first-team all-defense. And I think I'd be very upset if, if that does not happen. I know you will as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, Frank, historically one of the greatest seasons a player on defense has ever done. And while statistics don't tend to agree on defense, Anywhere you look, this is the best season that a defender has ever had on any plus minus, whether it be 538's Raptor, whether it be ESPN's real plus minus, whether it be Dunk's estimated plus minus, whether it be B-Bald Enix D LeBron, this is the single greatest season by a defender of all time. Rudy Gobert is the defensive player of the year this year. That's fair. That's fair. I mean when you when you bring out the big guns with the advanced metrics like that, there's not too much I can refute with, but you know, continuing on with some of the other awards. Just to keep it snappy, sixth man, much to your pleasure. It's going to be Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson! That's who I would pick. Really no discussion there. Most improved, also much to your delight, going to be Julius Randle. That's who I would pick as well. And then coach of the year, this is also another controversial one. And I think you would probably agree with me that at this point, maybe it's a two-horse race. And to me, it's Monty Williams or it's Tom Thibodeau. And I see the argument for both of them, but I would still lean towards my guy, Monty Williams. The reason being, the Suns didn't make the playoffs last year, and now they are a 50-win team and the two-seed in the Western Conference. And obviously a lot of that has to do with Chris Paul, but I still factor in how the Suns looked without Chris Paul towards the end of the last season. I kind of look at it, look at it as a transition as one big season including the bubble games and when you factor in that to me monty williams would get a slight edge over tom thibodeau but i do acknowledge uh, the tremendous job that thibodeau did with the knicks this season he deserves all the credit in the world it really should be a 1a 1b i think well, I'm surprised you didn't leave room for 1C. Monty Williams, according to Vegas Insider, is currently the favorite at minus 176. Tom Thibodeau and Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz, who you didn't mention, are currently tied for second place at a plus 200 there. Nah, not, which, not feeling it. Not, not feeling not, Quinn not, Snyder Not feeling anymore. Snyder, which is funny because, right, I was talking about it, I think, our first episode about how Snyder, uh, along with Jordan Clarkson, are probably the two biggest award winner, like, like likely award winners. Uh, and it's turned out it's Clarkson and Gobert, at least in my end. Um, I don't see Tommy T winning winning the award here. And I think it's it's because of the two guys in the West. You've got Williams, you've got Snyder, the one and the two in the harder conference. Both have really just playing beautiful basketball. And Thibodeau, I think if he were in a more Rick Carlisle position, you know, Carlisle got a sixth-place position, but was historically one of the best offensives in the history of the NBA last year. Didn't really get much credit in this race. This year, Tom Thibodeau with one of the better defenses in the history of the NBA. Not really going to get that coach of the year. I think you've got to get a mix, and there's only two coaches, I think, that have that mix, and it's Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams. You know, you gave you gave two awards to my guys. I'm going to give the award to your guy. I think at the end of the year, coach, coach of the year deserves to be the team that fought to its hardest, and the fact that they got the second seed 
might give it to Quinn Snyder, who got the first, but they fought hard. I don't think you can talk about any of those games for the last like seven or eight in Phoenix that the Suns didn't go balls to the didn't go balls to the wall to try and get that advantage, and ultimately they didn't get it, which might be the nail in the coffin for his award waste. But you can see it. There's a big, big difference in the way his players play and almost any other team they played that was. And Monty Williams, for all his effort and all the changes that he's brought to the city of Phoenix, definitely coached the year material. And uh, sad to say for both Quinn and Tom Thibodeau, but. It is what it is. The best coach wins in this one. Yeah, I mean, anywhere you slice it, there's going to be two coaches that don't win the award that probably should have or, or had very strong cases to. And just to put a bow on it, if you look at the improvement of each each coach's team from last year to this year, uh, the Jazz won 44 games last year, 52 games this year. The Suns won 34 games last year, 51 games this year in the Knicks. We're a 21 team, last 21 win team in 2020, and a 41 win team in 2021. So, do with that information as you please. That was a difference of 10 games on all three teams, and that was with 10 less games in the entire season. Uh, would have loved to see 10 more regular season games out of all three of those teams, but it is what it is. We've knocked down every single regular season, Frank. We've struck down every regular season game, Frank, and now it is only time for us to talk playoffs. Lovely talking about the regular season uh, and closing that off with a bow, finishing up with some play-in game and some first round. Uh, but that is it. Um, do you want to run down our, our teams and our picks again? Yeah, sure. Let's go ahead. I'll start. Uh, so with the play-in games, I, had the, I have the Wizards over the Celtics. Wizards jumped to the seventh seed. I have the Hornets over the Pacers, the 10 over the 9. And then I have the Celtics over the Hornets in the second play-in in the second playing matchup in the East with the in total, the Wizards get the seventh seed and the Celtics get the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference for me. Yeah, in the Eastern Conference for me, it's pretty much the exact same thing, except I'm switching the Pacers and the Hornets. Got to believe in that Sabonis effect. I'm liking his over too. I didn't mention him. Uh, and I think in the same case, we're sending the same guys to the playoffs either way as the uh, Celtics get the eight, Wizards get the seven. Uh, I'll continue on with that. I think the 76ers and Nets both take care of both of those teams. Uh, as the 76ers, I think, take out the the 76ers, I think, take out the Celtics in four, maybe give them a little sweep. I think the Nets take out the Wizards in five. Uh, then Bucks versus Heat. Again, Bucks in five or Heat in, se in seven. It's going one of those two ways. I refuse to see it any other way. Leaning for the more exciting Heat in seven for this one. Knicks over Hawks. It's going to be Knicks in six. I swear to God. Knicks, Knicks, Hawks, Knicks, Hawks. It's how it's going to go. You heard it here first, and I agree with you on. Uh, I agree with you that the Sixers and Nets should be locks to advance as the one and two seeds. I also think the Knicks will win in six games. Again, I picked the Bucks to win in seven, but I want the Heat to win. I would like for the Heat to pull off another upset, um, but that will be the most competitive uh, of the first round series in the Eastern Conference. I think we're in agreement. Yeah, well, why don't we swing to the Wild Wild West, where in the plans game I had. The Grizzlies beating the Spurs go Grizz, but I think their path ends there as they're going to play the Red Hot Warriors, uh, who are probably going to get the 8th seed. The Lakers beat the Warriors on the other hand, and they get the 7th seed and match up with the Suns. Uh, I'm just going to do the whole thing here, uh, and that Suns team is probably going to beat them. Uh, I do like the Suns and the Jazz. I don't think we, we got to that part, but I like both the Suns and the Jazz to beat both the Lakers and the Warriors. I think both of them get their jobs done in 5 for the Jazz, 6 for the Suns. Denver's yeah. versus Trailblazers, five-game win for the Nuggets. Absolutely no question about that one. Clippers-Mavericks, 
I could see this one Clippers in six, but at the end of the day, I'm going full chalk on the West. Full chalk. Love to see it. Uh, I could also go full chalk, but I don't think I will. Uh, I'm going to go with the Grizzlies over the Spurs in the 9-10, just like you. I think the Warriors actually upset the Lakers there in the first game, 8 over 7, with the Warriors jumping up to the 7th seed, and the Lakers sliding to 8, and then the Lakers taking care of business against your Grizzlies. And that would mean the playoff matchups are the Jazz versus the Lakers, which is tough because I think the Jazz had a great season. Uh, a 50-plus win team should win in the first round, but I can't pick against the Lakers in the first round. If LeBron and Anthony Davis are fully healthy, uh, I won't go down that path. I would go with the 8-over-1 upset, and it would be Suns-Warriors. I would take the Suns in that series in six games confidently maybe even five. And I agree with you on both fronts with the Nuggets over the Trailblazers and the Clippers over the Mavericks. So almost the exact same, but not quite the exact same. Close, but no cigar, Frank. That's what I love about you. Just a little bit different, but we never to disagree. Though, if you do want to disagree with us, make sure to let us know at Play It Pod or on our Instagram also at Play It Pod. You can let us know personally. Uh, you can check me out at Rodham Kaufman or Frank. You can let him know at Frank JP zero a beautiful Twitter handle Frank you got any quotes for us to end uh, this NBA season I don't have any quotes but uh, go get yourself vaccinated if you haven't you know take that mask off it's a uh, it, it's a rewarding feeling yeah Fauci says so and when you do that take a breath of fresh air and come back to listen to us next week <laughs>